for August 28th, 2023. It's the Overthinking It podcast, episode 791. What is Plinko but a novel pachinko? Welcome to Overthinking It, where we subject the popular culture to a level of scrutiny it probably doesn't deserve. The overthinkers are like your smart, funny friends from the internet, and uh, we're never happier than when we were hanging out in a studio full of fabulous prizes. Uh, I'm Matt Rather. I'm here with uh, my good friends, Peter Fenzel. Come on down. <laughs> hey, Matt. Mark Lee, come on down. Woohoo, Matt. Are you holding a very narrow stock-like microphone as you host this? What is the deal with the microphone? All right, so in you know, in, we we um have have we have taken the uh, <laughs> the hot take, the hot spicy take here on overthinking it that uh, having feelings is okay. <laughs> that, that, that it's okay to care about things. Um, and maybe the slightly less, uh, slightly less, uh, obvious position that n- no one should really get mad at you for caring about, uh, caring about what, uh, insignificant or trivial things. In fact, calling them insignificant or trivial when they have great meaning to you very often, uh, it does, you know, does some violence to the sort of integrity of your own story, um, and, and what it is. And, and, uh, I, I don't know if you realized, but, um, we we uh lost a great one <laughs> recently not paul rubens we lost a bunch of great ones recently we we always do the world is full of great ones and and uh life has but one destination for for us all but uh recently recently bob barker uh got all the way to 100 years without going over it and uh and passed on and uh may peace be upon him and we wanted to to spend a moment talking about i I mean i don't know a great deal about the man himself honestly i guess we could do a wikipedia deep dive and and sort of recite the wikipedia page um but we uh are also are do uh you know lost the host of the price is right and he was he was uh as identified with that game show as Alex Trebek was with Jeopardy. And we wanted to talk a little bit about, um, about the prices, right? So, uh, let's begin. I called down two contestants and, uh, we're going to have a little showcase showdown here. And you are bidding on a new Yamaha Wave Runner jet ski. <laughs> The FX Cruiser Ho, cruise in style for less from Yamaha, features a four-cylinder, four-stroke, 1.9-liter high-output Yamaha marine engine. Available in two colors, this puppy sports a storage capacity of 44.5 gallons, a strong, durable, lightweight hull, and ride registered trademark by Yamaha. And also, Yamaha's patented Connext. Five inch touchscreen with security and enhanced drive control. Cruise in style for less with the FX Cruiser Ho from Yamaha Wave Runner. Uh, let's go in alphabetical order. Can I have a starting bid? Peter Fenzel. Oh, um, wait, what was that? 
Was that three? Five, one, <laughs> seven, 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 uh, seven, 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 seventeen fifty. Seventeen fifty. Okay. Wow. Seventeen fifty. $1,750 from Pete Fenzel. Mark Lee, what do you bid for the FX Cruiser? Ho! Uh, I don't know a lot about jet skis, but Pete, I feel like you're you're lowballing here, and you're you're expecting me to go way over because I am an cool I'm a coolest urban dweller who, despite living within like you know a, a 20 minute walk of uh, of the ocean or at least the Hudson River, and knows uh, was completely, completely out of his out of out of my depth here, such as it were. So I'm gonna say thirty four ninety nine. Thirty four. 99 let's no what, clue. what do we do we pull a card away to reveal the price or something like that the actual price of the yamaha wave runner fx cruiser ho is sixteen thousand nine hundred ninety nine dollars so <laughs> mark you will be advancing on yes to the next round and i guess the next round is you you lead the next round of showcase showdown I okay guess. are you are you passing the narrow stock like microphone Seventeen thousand dollars for a jet ski for a new jet ski cruising style for less I mean, yeah i'll be the judge of that we'll uh, probably talk about this later but like uh, you know, with especially with inflation these days, like I have no idea how much things cost these days, right? <laughs> Michael, it's a bin- one banana. How much could it cost? Thirty five dollars. Have a uh, uh, all right. Have the have the thin, narrow, stock like microphone with a with a little mushroom cap on on the top, Mark. All right, contestants, ready for the next showcase? You are bidding on an NVIDIA GeForce RTX forty ninety <laughs> graphics processing unit video card. Beyond fast. The NVIDIA GeForce RTX 4090 is the ultimate GeForce GPU. It brings an enormous leap in performance, efficiency, and AI-powered graphics. Experience ultra-high performance gaming, incredibly detailed virtual worlds, unprecedented productivity, uh, and new ways to create. (laughs) Powered by the NVIDIA Ada Lovelace architecture and comes with 24 gigabytes of G6X memory to deliver the ultimate experience for gamers and creators. And most importantly, it allows you entry into the still highly problematic, quote-unquote, PC master race. Yes, folks, that is still a thing. They still call it that. You get this graphic card, comes with entry into the, quote-unquote, PC master race. We'll start again with Pete Fenzel. Pete, can I get your bid? Oh, um, uh, wait, what was that? Mark, 1750. $1,750 from Pete Fenzel. Matt Rather, can I get your bid? I bid, Mark, I bid. I just feel like someone needs to do this move. 1751. (laughs) (laughs) 1751 from Matt, 1750 from Pete. Well, both of you went over, so uh, neither of you win, I think, is how the rules work, right? The actual... Uh, a suggested retail price for this ridiculous product is one thousand five hundred and ninety nine dollars. Oh, we were much closer than I thought. I thought I was way over. No, no, this thing is ridiculously expensive. I mean, like, if you want a game at four K uh, above sixty frames per second, you kind of need this. But, uh, but that's the big if. But Mark, right I thought there. that like, sorry, I'm, I'm. This is a tangent. I buy Max mostly. I've not put to get built a system since the '90s, like where I picked a graphics card and like I don't know what a sound card or something. Is that is that still a thing? Sound card? Not really. Uh, no, but you could. Uh, 
Yeah, but you get, I mean, you get the idea. I haven't done that, done that since the nineties. So like, I thought the deal with these was you just can't get them for love or money and you can only get them on the secondary market. At, uh, like, that ridiculous- was like last year. Oh God. Yeah, like the GPU shortage is over and now there's uh, you, you can, you have them just, they're still as freaking expensive. So, That's so last year. Um, so last year, there, there you go. Yeah. So I, so I was either going to bid that or like $5,000 thinking that I was going to buy it on eBay from uh, someone who was going to scam me. Out I mean, of, to be uh, fair, you, for fifteen ninety nine, you could still get like two decent computers, entire computers on their own. Or just one tenth to, you know, of a Yamaha Wave Runner. Right. <laughs> <laughs> You're going to securitize it? <laughs> fractions? Yeah, exactly. Can sure. I have it on layaway? Tokenize it. Awesome. Pete, oh, I think it's okay. I think it's down to you. Okay, 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 okay. So are you guys ready? And you guys you did a great job guessing the price of that mixer, which now means you get to play our next game for this prize. A new car! Whoa! It's the Caterham 7170. Uh, from Caterham Auto, it's a 660cc turbocharged Suzuki engine with the R pack. You got a five-speed gearbox, 14-inch black Juno alloy wheels with polished lip and Avon ZT7 tires, a limited slip differential, a carbon fiber dashboard, unique key gear knob instruments, LED rear lights, a shift light, uh, a black pack, a four-point racing harness, polished exhaust. No roof, and you have to put it together yourself in your own garage. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Cater Amato, the finest kid cars out of the United Kingdom. <laughs> I assume you have to pay for the speeding tickets you incur from the illegal street racing you're going to do with this on your own, right? Not uh, included in the price? Uh, those are not included in the manufacturer's suggested retail price. Does okay. it come, okay. does it come okay. with an option to put the, drive, the steering wheel on the left side of the vehicle? <laughs> <laughs> Important question, important question. Well, you build it yourself, so you can put it wherever you want, right? <laughs> <laughs> All right, yeah, so, so yeah, think about that. You know, we're, we're talking about the R-Pack here, guys. It is the 170, so we're not talking about the Super 2000. I know you guys love your Caterham 7s, but... <laughs> <laughs> okay, uh, I, I have converted, I've converted the price... From British pounds to dollars based on the exchange rate currently available on DuckDuckGo oh, by default. Got it. So, which I'm sure is sourced from somewhere. But uh, let's start with, uh, well, you got to start with first the alphabet. Mark, how much would you pay for your R-Pack Caterham 7170 new car? No roof, no doors, racing harness. You have to wear goggles while you're driving it, and you have to put it together yourself. It's Fourteen inch wheels. It's super low to the ground. <laughs> Oh, is it going to be? Oh, is it? Uh, come on, you guys. Let's apply the crowd noise here. It's a Caterham Auto. Pretty top. Could do. Twenty-four thousand U.S. dollars. All right, we have a bid of twenty-four thousand. Matt Rather. I think he's. I think he's gone over. My bid is seventeen thousand two hundred fifty euros, which is eighteen thousand six hundred twenty-two right. United States dollars. Pete, we have we have our bids. Let's now listen to three advertisements for pharmaceuticals and life insurance. <laughs> also, a rascal scooter commercial. It'll be great. Don't uh, be no, the, don't be one don't be one of the the many people who get uh, sucked into the 
deep cyber underworld of identity theft, LifeLock by Norton is available for only $9.99 a month. And we do one thing that you can do for free with all the credit reporting bureaus, which is lock your credit so that you, no one can access it. If you don't no, want these pop-ups, we'll give them to you. Just install them on your computer with Norton LifeLock. This, this, we'll this, constantly this. annoy you. This is this is elder abuse. <laughs> <laughs> all right, all right, all right. We're back. We're back. We're back. So uh, the manufacturer suggested retail price for this specific build of the Caterham Seven One Hundred and Seventy is twenty nine thousand nine hundred <laughs> British pounds, which translates into or exchanges into thirty seven thousand six hundred and thirteen dollars and 80 cents in American dollars. And now, who bit high? Was it Mark? Did it was you do Mark. It? Yeah, Mark wins. Yeah, 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 so, I'm Mark going. Lee, here's a big bucket of parts. You have to source <laughs> the engine separately. I don't, I don't care about the parts. House. Pete, can I, play, can I play Plinko? Do I get to play Plinko now? Uh, sure, yeah. We're just, Plinko's uh, just, the best, let me tell you. You can drop the caterum parts down the side of this <laughs> pegboard. And, uh, yeah, I'll turn, this, I'll turn this box spring sideways and cut it in half. But, yeah, no, you, are you a Plinko fan? Uh, I'm less of a Plinko fan and more I'm a fan of the novel Pachinko. <laughs> Just a reminder, right? Pachinko is <laughs> the Japanese parlor game wait, wait, that wait, Plinko but... comes from, and Pachinko was the greatest novel uh, written in the 21st century at the end. But what is Plinko but a novel Pachinko? <laughs> oh! Wow. Wow. Well done. Wow. It probably okay. doesn't deserve yeah, there we go. Yeah, let's let's uh, eat dessert first, right? Um, so, so at first, I want to I want to point out, right? Like, at what point in our pricing was the actual skill of being able to predict the price of things like part of the experience of either doing that or listening to it? <laughs> I think well, that's I, what we're, no, yeah. I had wrong. I had it wrong in my head, Pete. Like, I was imagining a Mad Max style dune buggy as the kit car. You know, oh, so yeah. I was this looks like uh like almost like a luxury roadster now that I've I've allowed myself to Google it now that the game is over. This looks oh, yeah. like a you know, fancy British racing car that like uh yeah, so I'm I was completely wrong. Just I I made a category error, I think, and that I was yeah. I was doing something different. Yeah, it is one of the differences between the price is right and shows you watch on television that have come out more recently is that the more recent shows would broadcast what you just said. Right. And the price is like never would. It would be like, oh, you know, I could have done this and I, I did it wrong and I should have done that. And now I can't use the money for the orphanage. And like my kids are going to have to go hungry. Oh, there's so much drama. Yeah, you're talking uh, whereas, about yeah. like the modern reality show format, right? With the confessional style interviews. Yeah, and yeah, the, yeah. And yeah. like, just kind of like, just like just spiel and just let it all out. Yeah, well, which also, I will also, I know we have a lot to talk about with regards to Bob Barker, you know, peace be upon him. But I do want to say that I do have a gripe with so many of those shows that, that call themselves reality shows that are so obviously game shows. Like, you, you are not too good to call yourself a game show when you are a game show. Although I suppose what this suggests then is that, you know, game show has a is a collection of of aesthetic choices and style choices more than the dynamic of a bunch of people go on television for the purpose of competing in a contest to win prizes with the idea that like the contestants are not paid right for for what they're doing like at a at a big rate uh but the prizes are kind of the expense right uh, and that's kind of the structure of the game show um but yeah something like guys something like chopped or guys grocery games is a game show Right, sure. but it's a reality. But they call it a reality. Okay, show. so good. So where would you draw the line? Like, is Top Chef a game show? I've never watched Top Chef, which is interesting because I feel like I know a lot about it, 
based on like people who've been on it, but I don't actually know the structure of the show. Well, like, what do, is it like to watch the show? Yeah, they, I mean, they do, it's like, it's structured around. There's like what an early challenge. It's called like the quick fire challenge, and then there's the main part of the episode, which is you know some kind of complex cooking challenge, and they compete in an arena together. It it is more like you know. Iron Chef or or American Gladiators or something, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, than it is like Julia Child. Know what I mean? Right. But they might call they'll call it a reality show, but it's it's got a lot of game show elements and doesn't really. When I think of a reality show, the classic reality show is like Survivor or the sure. Real World, right? Which I guess Survivor is also a game show, but but I guess because it's serialized, it's less of a game show. Yeah, I mean, Worst Cooks in America is also on this continuum between like reality show and game show with regards to cooking. Um, we there follow are, the same people over many weeks. Sorry, go ahead. There are basically like, I, I think there are sort of two genres, which is reality competition and like unstructured reality. I don't know. There's yeah. probably like an Emmys category for it. Called, maybe it's called unstructured reality, but it's yeah. the difference between, uh, it's the difference between Top Chef and, uh, you know, the Real Housewives of New Jersey or something like that. Right, right, right. The difference with unstructured reality is everyone's just smoking. It's like wearing turtlenecks because uh, <laughs> of all of the unstructured reality. Uh, but yeah, but like, no, that's that's a, a that's post-structuralist reality. Oh yeah, post-structuralist reality, like uh, like jury duty, right? <laughs> <laughs> this is a post-structuralist reality show. Um, but yeah, I guess because so what the Price is Right has, I'm suggesting here is the it's the game showiest game show. It's it whatever it is that is a difference between a game show and anything else. Price is Right has the most of it, uh, and and what are the, Bob Barker, what are, what are the most of the what are those things? Just well, yeah, like, the, we could break it down. We could try to do some taxonomy. We could sure. we could try to understand it. We could list it. Um, well, one of the, the dimensions of a game show is that the prize is a reason that you watch it. I'm, I'm putting this out there, right? That like the idea that the person who wins the show might win a prize is a is a part of watching a classic game show. And if you were to watch uh, a kind of deconstructed game show, and there are a lot of some sort of deconstructed post-structuralist game shows, uh, you know, one I watch a lot is Um Actually, where they're, and they're like, there's no prizes. I mean, whose line is it anyway, right? Is like structured like a post-structuralist game show where the, the, the everything's made up and the points don't matter, right? And, uh, and at the end, there's no prize that's given to anybody. But I would suggest that a game show where you're, that something like having no prize No, you have to, at sure the end, you have, show, to, you have to perform with Drew Carey, which yeah. one could... <laughs> What, look, the argument could be made that that's the opposite of it. No, I'm sorry. I you carry the successor, the successor of Bob Barker. I know. I shouldn't. I shouldn't talk smack. No, no, you should draw that comparison because it brings it all full circle, right? Yeah. Like it, Drew Carey goes from from uh, hosting the fakest of fake game shows yep. to the realest of real game shows. Yeah, that's a good and point. in the process of host, I got, I got, I got, I don't know if we talked about this in the podcast before, but I got to hand it to Drew Carey for everything that they did to keep the prices right on during COVID. Like, I, have we talked about that on the podcast yet? Like no. the prices right. Oh, no. I feel like the prices right during COVID is like, I mean, it's one of those things where it's like if the Coliseum falls, Rome shall fall. And if Rome falls, the world shall fall. It's right. like there's this show that's been on forever. And you know that most of the people watching it are the elderly and the elderly are all locked in their homes and they can't leave and talk to any of their family and friends for like a year and a half 
because of this horrible disease, right? And and yet this horrible disease also would hypothetically at least make it the case that they could no longer make the prices right. But they do make the prices right. By God, they make the prices right, right? Like they redesign the entire thing, right? Like like both the prices right and let's make a deal went through big COVID makeovers, you know, all of the links that they go to. You know, Drew Carey coming out of it with this huge beard, right? Still hosting the prices right. Huh. Uh, it's 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 just like and and the colors are still bright and everything's still there. It just sort of felt to me like like it was really important, you know, that, that getting that right, getting keeping the prices right on was just so important because it provided this energy and structure to these people who were so. And again, you'll probably talk to one of them about it, whether they actually like the prices right that much or not. But when I imagine the sort of institutional settings where people most often watch the prices right, or just the fact of like kids being trapped at home watching the prices right, it's the most prices writingest of times. It was the it was the most prices writingest of times. It was the worst of times was that championship season. And with the notable exceptions that like, you know, kids at home uh, uh, stuck in stuck at home during the championship season were not necessarily locked into watching linear television like we were yeah. when we were stuck at home. But let's put yeah. a pin in that. I mean, we could, we're not going to we're not going to use this podcast to draw the obvious statistical correlation between kids watching less prices right when they're home from school and increased mental illness and other sorts of health outcomes that are bad for children. Because uh, clearly that's the reason, right? Like clearly they're not watching the prices right. But just going back to it, what are the characteristics of a game show? Uh, like a game showy game show with the prices right being a sort of or example of a game showingist game show. Um, you have to have a host, right? Sure. And the and the host has to bring a tone. And and the idea there's a relationship between the host and the contestants, wherein the contestants are participating in the tone of the show. And there is a dis part of the aesthetic value of an episode of a game show is the distance between the tone of the game show and the contestants and how it kind of widens and narrows based on what happens. Right. So Alex, like Trebek, yeah. Alex Trebek was a master at this. Oh, oh, totally, totally, totally. I mean, you want to elaborate on that good, a little bit? Good for you. Is <laughs> <laughs> all I have to say. The you know way his his sort of archness, the way he could bring like when he got sort of zany off the wall contestants that were not participating in the that were not participating in the kind of the buttoned upness right of the performance of Jeopardy. Uh, the way he would say, you know, uh, well, welcome. What do, what do you do? I'm a hog farmer, and I love to roll around in hog poop. You know, and it's uh, good for you. <laughs> <laughs> and that was a whole, you know, no. it was, uh, as the kids say, a vibe. Yeah. And the Bob Barker vibe is like, you're here. I'm so glad to see you. Well, look at you. You know, and it's this, this, it's this like validating someone like with fire hose water through garden hose gauge, <laughs> right? Just, uh -huh. I've got so much validation and joy and happiness for everybody. And I am going to control myself and not go overboard with it. Cause this is show business, right? Like, and, and, uh, that's my tiny little microphone. Um, <laughs> hey, yeah. How do you how do you fit all that charisma down that <laughs> tiny little <laughs> microphone? Oh man! Another 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 example. I think uh, maybe one you'd appreciate, Matt, because I just found out. I mean, maybe most, most of our listeners aren't as familiar with this. Jeremy Paxman retired. Did you ever watch University Challenge? No, I not. No, I've never watched University Challenge. I've heard it referred to in other British things that I that I like, but I don't know anything about it. Yeah. Mark, this is like a. Have you ever watched the University Challenge? 
No, no, no. I only imagine Matt Smack because he's the Anglophile here. But like, it's an incredibly difficult college bowl game show on TV. So it's like it's a it's it's basically competitive quiz bowl for college and graduate students at like the highest levels. Uh, and and it's uh, there's a lot of it on YouTube that you can find. But um, it's it's been airing forever. It, it first aired in the 60s. And this guy, Jeremy Paxman, hosted it from 94 all the way until just this year and was just replaced by a guy named Amal Rajan. And so when I started listening to it and it was like reading the questions about and he just had this like withering Jeremy Paxman. Uh, Paxman had this just sort of like withering disdain for people who like didn't take the quiz seriously or like who didn't get obvious questions right or who wasted his time. So, was, you know, you're allowed to confer on certain questions and be like, oh, come on. Like, uh, no, it was it was Cezanne. You're like, uh, uh, this? Oh, no. Like, well, come on now. You know, he's just sort of like uh, very sort of grumpy. And kind of uh, not grumpy, but kind of um, curmudgeon-y, but like very controlled. It's almost like it was all coming out of his throat. But anyway, Bob Barker is who we're talking about. And but that, but um, also, I mean, like I, I actually think this is fun because it could, you can kind of ring the changes. One British talk show we've talked about on the podcast is Only Connect. Yes, and yes, yes. Uh, I feel like Victoria Corn Mitchell brings a vibe, one hundred percent, like one thousand uh, yeah. percent to to Only Connect. Uh, Trebek did. I feel like the the weakest link lady you know uh yeah. definitely definitely brought a vibe pete where would you say in this typology where what is the the vanna white factor right like oh man what because some uh you know the the price is right I, I actually haven't watched it recently but the when i would watch it in the 80s and and early 90s um we should actually talk about that a little bit the the um you know uh the show was not above using like bikini clad models or something like that in fact yeah. one would have sat astride the yamaha wave runner yeah at, like 100 <laughs> percent you know yeah. like in in like beach gear like pretending to wave or you know ride past or something like that yeah. and, and uh, also yeah. for the record one of them also did sue bob barker for sexual harassment and there's a whole you know Supposedly consensual affair and then yeah, all this oh, yeah. Nice stuff. Yeah. With it, it shouldn't be too. I mean, for all that, it shouldn't be too surprising that there's a variety of misbehaviors, right? Just given given the culture and everything. Um, but yeah, I, I would say that because uh, they do have the the people now. They have like models who show off the stuff now. They have dudes, and it's like adding dudes to that is like the most. Once you see it, it's the most obvious freaking thing. Right. It's like, oh, this never was a problem. Right. Like, sure. oh, there's a guy there's a, like a, a male model in a in a V-neck sweater with a with a, you know, an Oxford shirt showing off a watch. And it's like, of course there is. It's fine. You right, know, like right. and it, it adds a certain element of uh, of we're all a big crew here. Like we're just all a bunch of people. And, yeah. And, you don't and, need. Yeah. You don't need to put the watch like on a shelf and like put, yeah. you know, three Miss Universe contestants next to it, like just kind of waving their hands, like sweeping their hands in front of it to present it. Like that's uh, a yeah, yeah. The, it's well, the problem that's so easy to fix. That's that is interesting. Pete. Here, here's the thing I would suggest is that a game show as we're, we're constructing this on the fly, right? So we said the game show has a tone and that there's a distance between the contestants and the tone of the game show. The game show has a host and, and the host sort of maintains the tone, um, right? And then the game show has a prize and the prize has to be is part of the reason why you're watching the game show. And then what I would also suggest is that a game show has an idea of what the good life is, 
huh. that there is some sort of notion there is and there's an ethic and so okay so one of the things that really frustrates me about philosophical discussions uh, mark and matt and you let me know what you think is that there's this they just skip over the whole section of meta ethics where we talk about why we have ethics right so like like stuff like the trolley problem right and it's like okay so there's a trolley that's going down the train tracks and it's gonna you know it's headed towards you know uh, five people and if you throw the lever it could go to three people and it's supposed to be talking about kind of like positive and negative action and all that other stuff but in the and it, with your own of all of your ethical discussions are in framed in terms of the trolley problem you never really take on the question of like why you should care right or like like why you should bother or why this is your problem right um <laughs> <laughs> right like like why is this my problem like you have an obligation to do it it's like okay you said that but what if I don't? Sure. <laughs> like, and, sure. and what and, happens and, to the regular switch operator whose job it is to do this? And why am I magically teleporting? That's yeah. so, yeah. Pete. That's so. What you're saying is so true and so so interesting. In that, I've never ta- thought about that before. <laughs> like, why even have? Why even have? Why even have? Yeah. Uh, like ethics as distinct from like I don't know you know, trying to do good stuff on a daily basis, right? Like, why, why, what, what even, we need a prolegomenon. And I think the answer to why we need the trolley problem, Pete, is that because one day Christopher Nolan is going to make uh, The Dark Knight and uh, there are going to be two (laughs) boats and for that, for that, like, artistic and aesthetic um accomplishment that we just need uh we need like decades centuries of utilitarian nightmare world scenarios uh given uh given to undergraduates who you know chew their pencils and and contemplate themselves seriously yeah you either offer an answer or you live long enough to see yourself become the question (laughs) Um, but but what it's suggesting is like you know you could go back to the sophists and early ancient philosophy and find like very serious discussions of this stuff that informs a lot of later stuff. You can find more contemporary stuff that addresses it. Um, but I think part of the question, there's a couple of different sub questions that I think can lead you into a discussion of why you would care about this sort of thing. And one of them is, you know, what is good? You know, what is, what is good? And also like in my situation of being alive, what is good? Right? Like I'm a person and I, at least to my own perception, I have choices Right. Like what 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 is the good thing for me to do and and what does that mean? Uh, And you can ask, like, well, is it in your interest? Is it not in your interest? Is it like is there sort of a sense of moderation? Is there you know, is it is it because is it? Oh, no, you you really need to dispense with your kind of intuitions and you need to find a calculus for it and a scientific stance for it. Or is it no, 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 like there's social context for it. But the whole idea of like what is the what is the good life is, I think, an important philosophical question. And it's this question that I think a game show that is very game showy has an answer for Sure. You know, like, yeah. What and, is the, yeah. and the the good life between Jeopardy and The Price is Right, like, it's sharply, it's it's clearly delineated, right? The difference between yeah. what, uh, what what that is, like, you know, I don't know what, uh, of Jeopardy, it's like moneyed leisure as a man of letters. You know what I mean? It's like having a uh, having a having a, a English country house, right, with a big library with a lot of dark wood built in <laughs> bookcases and like. You know, reading about geography or something like that. Yeah. And with, uh, and, and on the price of right, it's like retiring to Lake Tahoe. 
you know, (laughs) (laughs) and like, and hitting all the national parks in your Winnebago, you know, and that's like, uh, uh, completely different, um, completely different vibes, I think. Oh, I think you could say on the price, the price right was on for so long that it changed, like that the the cultural ideas of what goodness in life was changed while the show was on. Ah, Fenzel, what is best in life? (laughs) Uh, just to, to see, to, to fight your, to crush your enemies, see them driven before you and win a bid with bidding $1, right? Is that how you do it? (laughs) Um, so see the lamentations of the showcase showdown or something, but no, like, um, but so, uh, yeah. So with Price is Right, you you say you make these propositions about what the good life is there, and I want to interrogate it a little bit, just in terms of like maybe approaching it from a more elemental standpoint. You know, what are the kind of uh, stripped down components of what's good? Because I think part of Jeopardy is the idea is good. You want to be, you need to be competitive. You should care about winning, right? It, like winning is good. Trying and not winning is good. Uh, what are some other the other ethics of Jeopardy? Uh, wagering is this big question in Jeopardy, right? And there's this whole, like, every Daily Double is a morality play where the luck of what the question happens to be kind of dictates the moral lesson you're supposed to learn. Like, don't risk too much, don't Mm. risk too little, right? Like, don't be too proud, don't be, you know, oh, make sure you do the math for how much it's worth, right, to you before you make kind of snap judgment decisions. I think that, like, there's a little drop, final Jeopardy, that's why they do it, you know, everybody has to do it at the end. It's like the big question, uh, of, you know, uh, of the moral, the morality play of Jeopardy. Uh, Wheel of Fortune, I just, when you're talking about Vanna White, I have real trouble with Wheel of Fortune. I just really, I really don't like it. Well, it's <laughs> and, because uh, the, because not, the, not the Pat Stajak, apparently. No, yeah, right, because yeah, yeah. of the disdain, because of the, like, visible disdain he has for the guests, for the people playing, uh, playing yes. the game. Yep, making fun of them. Again, I think if you like Pat Sajak, you're endeared to his sort of commentary about the guests and kind of looking down on them. But I guess the ethic of of Wheel of Fortune, so the concept of Wheel of Fortune, right, and the thing that makes it enduring is that, and you correct me if I'm wrong here, the audience, the way the game is structured, the audience is very likely to know the answer before anybody on the show actually says it. So there's a period of time where the audience gets to feel smart and excited that, like, they know. And then there's this sort of uh, guessing game, this sort of like game of chance as to who else is going to have the opportunity. Like you never watch Wheel of Fortune in order to see people who are really good at word games because it's not structured to give you that experience watching it. It's structured to give you the experience of like it's like, no, no, no. If you don't know, you should keep trying. You should keep spinning to write. If you definitely know, you should keep spinning. Right. Which increases your chances of going bankrupt and looking like an idiot. Uh, because then you can chalk up more money and that's the money that you get to keep. Even the idea that you get to keep all the money you win every round in Wheel of Fortune really changes the dynamic there. And in that sense, there's, yeah, there's really this sense of one-upsmanship. Like I'm smarter than you and I'm okay with that. That feels different from Jeopardy where there's a sense of sportsmanship, right? Like how many times in Wheel of Fortune does someone just lose everything just because of the wheel and everyone's like, idiots. <laughs> like it just, it just has that vibe to it. And Vanna White kind of feels like a, um, like a taunt, like she's always far away. She knows the answer and you don't. And the only thing that makes the show watchable is that she's actually really nice, even though her character is a villain, right? Like Vanna White is not a villain herself, but you got to think that her job is like the antagonist of this, of the, of the show, right? Like as the, what, as the one who, uh, so she is, she is either the, like the attentive mother who, who giveth the vowels or the, like the withholding mother who, who taketh the vowels away. <laughs> yeah. Like she knows what the answer is. And she's only going to give you little bits of it. She'll never talk to you. 
you don't even ever think about really talking to her. You talk to Pat. You don't talk to Vanna, right? And then, like, if you really want her to do something, you can pay her a bunch of money. Like, you could buy the vows. And that just also feels <laughs> feels tawdry. Yeah. Right? It feels lowbrow. Well, it feels but, retrograde. But, but it feels retrograde in terms of, right? of its, yeah. its, its gender politics, right? Like her, her, Yeah, 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 yeah. The woman is the sort of mystery, right? The, she's right, sort of right, exactly. The the sort of the the kind of the remote mystery who is who is like revered, but then also kind of denigrated, right? There's a real yeah. virgin whore thing. The the whole buying a vowel, uh, you know, yeah, whole dynamics weird, of man. buying a vowel from Vanna White is is uh, yeah, definitely messed up. Yeah, definitely. And so so yeah, with the prices right, I would say that. The idea that there is a good life that involves like jet skiing and Lake Tahoe and that stuff for sure. Um, but also the the being on the prices right is fun. It is a big part of the prices right. Sure. You know, the, the people running on stage and they're so excited to be there. The prices right is like I'm surprised that people don't talk about it more as a deconstruction of the audience performer paradigm. Like, mm. you know, I'm you know, you're in your undergraduate theater class and they're sort of talking about the proscenium and the fourth wall and kind of different theatrical traditions that break down the distance between the audience and the performer with this sort of democratizing idea that the distance between the audience and the performer is sort of part of a oppressive structure of society and you should you should look outside of the sort of imperialistic traditional Western theater to these other modes of theater where the audience is more participatory. And meanwhile, you have Bob Barker telling people to come on down. Yep. Right. Like, and they, and they, and the, the people on stage are like random people who are sitting on the street, right. Who like run and break that barrier as they, as the, and, and like, what is the first thing you see on an episode of Price is Right? Right. Is that, is that at least an old school one, right? It's, uh, come it's on down. Me- it's the people. Yeah. It's the, the first four contestants getting called down, right? Oh, no, 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 no. Even look, before that. I was at, look at this studio full of glamorous prizes. Yes. Or, yeah. No, no. It's, it's, it's the people, right? In the audience. Oh, right. And it's the, and it, there's a frame around it, which is the frame of the mirror in a performing green room, right? At least in the old ones, there's like, there's like lights. Uh, maybe I'm remembering it incorrectly, but I think about really old prices, right? Isn't there sort of like a, you're the star, right? There's a sort of like the kind of mirror that a sad person looks in, in, in like a sunset Boulevard kind of story where it's like, I was a star once. And they're like looking in the mirror with all the lights around it. And the lights are on this like teeming crowd of people in t-shirts right. who are all like hanging out together, smooshed together, just having the best time. And that's right. And that and- is different. Sorry, I I was I was wrong. I've been uh, mis misquoting this. Look at the studio filled with glamorous prizes is actually from Wheel of Fortune, which is uh, a, yes, which is a very different. Like you know, behold the riches of the cave. Touch nothing but the wheel. Do not look Vanna White in the <laughs> eye. You know, like is a completely different vibe than like than the yeah the fre- the frenzy the kind of the bacchanalian frenzy of the common people. People, all of them wearing name tags, right? Like jumping up and down in the the studio, the studio all audience. Wearing, wearing price, if I recall correctly, the name tags are as if they are price tags, right? That's true. Yeah. yeah so yeah. so you cost one mark, and Pete costs <laughs> one Pete, and I cost one Matt. You know. But all you need is one dollar, right, to hey, win the. Hey. the- I'm I'm a non fungible contestant. Okay, so <laughs> on the non fungible contestants, on oh, the price is right. I think it has those weird. Yes, yeah, I I well, I think like the context in which we watched the Price is Right, I think has a real bearing on at least my own my own sense of how I read it and what its what its meanings are to me, right? Because the Price is Right was broadcast during the day. 
Yeah, it's not a a nighttime uh, television show like like Wheel of Fortune or Jeopardy. Like I used to watch Jeopardy. Uh, I used to watch Jeopardy after school with my like allotted thirty minutes of television time that that my mother said I could have. I was allowed to bank it uh, so that I could get to ninety minutes. Um, on Wednesday and watch Wheel of Fortune, Jeopardy and Night Court in rerun uh, in syndication, you know, in uh, in a 90 minute block. And that's how I would that's how I would consume television. But Price is Right, you know, was was on TV during the day. And so that meant um, that that meant I needed a reason to be watching television on a weekday during the day. So like I was sick or it was a school vacation, or there was some irregularity, you know, there was some, so already like we're in the realm of the special, you know, we're not, we're out of the realm of the, the quotidian and in the realm of like, this is a special day. This is a holiday, a holy day, you know, for, for whatever reason. Um, and like, that's, I, I think that's important because as a kid, especially in the eighties, like, like doing this, watching this with these adults who seem to have this command of this esoteric knowledge, um, that I knew nothing about, you know, that like, what, what are the prices of, consumer goods. I, you know, I, I really didn't know as a kid what a car was supposed to cost or really understand, you know, for, for a kid, what's the difference between like $500 and $5,000? It's more money than I have or have ever seen or, you know, have ever controlled the disposition of. They're both, you know, they may as well be $5 million or $50 million, both, both of them, right? So that, that like, so it was this, this sort of gateway to an adult world that, uh, seemed, seemed exciting and glamorous and like good, like a good adult world, not, not the adult world of like drudgery and like clock punching and like that, you know, which is a different story that you might've heard from, from other sources, but like, you know, the, the, that the, the experience of adulthood was an experience of like coming on down, you know, and you, you are, it's, it's very, it's very Calvinist, I suppose, right? You are, you are chosen to be among the, (laughs) to be among the elect, you know, your name is actually called by, Bob Barker, a godlike figure who, uh, you know, who enrolls you in his books, right? And your, your sort of knowledge, uh, uh, your sort of knowledge is tested. And so like, I don't know. That's how I, the, and I feel like the, the setting watching daytime television as a child, um, was, was part of that. I don't know. Pete, you did, does that jibe with your, uh, your experience of watching it or did you kind of read it differently based on how you encountered it? I feel like you're that feels very insightful to me. It definitely speaks to a world that's good. That that the price is right is uh, is about a world that's good. Now, granted, you can then step back and try to critique the idea of that world and 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 whether it's honest or not or what sort of its motivations are or any of that stuff. You'd be such a drag if you did that, right? Like, yes, okay, God, of course you're right. The machinery of capitalism is the capitalism is oiled with the blood of the workers, but shut up, dude. But, But at the same time, it's like so it's interesting because so what I'm thinking about it's it's very this might be kind of an anchor. I feel like a lot of this discourse has a sort of anchoring problem where when you get too close to words that are associated with it, you just fall into these very like ruddy grooves without really actually considering what's really going on. So it's like, well, why would a person know how much a bunch of Brillo pads cost? Mm. Like because they use Brillo pads, right? And like this is part of their everyday life, and that they that they clean their stove, right? 
Um, or it isn't, right? And if you don't clean your stove, then you get punished, I suppose. Uh, but then again, you don't really get punished because we never really, we don't really find out in watching The Price is Right how much the contestants know about consumer goods. Like, in fact, that whole, when you were to, if you were to compare, I mean, I'll do it right now. There is a story in The Price is Right of the guy who researches all the prices sure. and ends up getting on the show and kind of like giving, I, compare that to the the press your luck guy who like memorized the rotation of the board on Press Your Luck. You guys know this one, right? The documentary's uh, on YouTube, I think, and you can watch it. Um, how this guy just won. Did you ever watch Press Your Luck? the game show. What's up? He, he gamed the game show. That's yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a game show where you answer trivia questions and then you would like spin. It said spin, but really you're like rotating through a randomly selecting video board and you would tell it when to stop and you would win whatever was there. One of the things you could get is a free spin to go again and he memorized the pattern of how it worked and was able to extend because the game doesn't end until you run out of spins and he extends it over multiple episodes wins like insane amounts of money. Like they're sort of begging him to stop and he won't. Right. And so like that to me now, press your luck. Another very game showy game show that totally has a vibe. You know, the whammies are going to come and take away all your money and you watch the little cartoon of the whammies. Right. But the guy who figured out the we the, the screen on press your luck. To me, feels like a fulfillment of press your luck, not a undermining of press your luck. You know, it's like it's like counting cards in the casino. It's not real. It's against the rules, but it's not against the spirit of the game, right? To count cards, uh, not from the perspective of the person playing it, because you want to be good at card games, right? And so, like, of course, it makes sense to to you and me. I would think. Um, I feel like learning the like studying up on consumer prices is against the spirit of the prices, right? Uh, I, I just feel like the show is there's so many times where the choice between two prices is boiled down to a coin flip or is so crazy that you have no chance of guessing it. Right. Where it's like just random, where, where it's either like we're going to give you a choice between these two things or like, hey, what's the last digit in the price of a table? <laughs> like the, there's no information you could have on earth that would have you let you know this right uh like you just have to you have to accept the fact that if you didn't save up enough extra guesses at this point you're probably going to lose yeah there's sure like is it 897 or 899 like that's you know who knows yeah and it's almost like it's just idea like a, as well is that like once you win the, the showcase showdown you play the game by and large of chance right you spin the wheel you play plinko yeah. um as far as i recall there's not really much of a skill thing going on there. Yeah, it's 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 not with Plinko. Yeah, for sure. It's uh, and with a lot of them, I think. I, I mean, I would be curious to know for the people who didn't study up how much of variation in performance there really is, because everybody only makes like a few decisions in the game. So the sample size for any individual person is going to be really small. You know, you could you could know everything, and then they're just like, "What about what about it?" We changed the trim on the car. That's how they got the guy on the prices right. Right? Is that they were they were giving out the same car a bunch of times, and they changed the trim so the price was different. So we got it wrong, or something along those lines. Um, but it's it's it's. They have, I've also heard them talk about in documentaries about the prices right, which of course I've watched. That that in the Bob Barker era, they really wanted Bob Barker to be on the player side like he's not. Alex Trebek is impartial. Right. Mm. Alex Trebek kind of expects you and wants you to get borderline answer, hostile, right? I think. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like Jeremy Paxman wants you to get them wrong. Like, he, he, well, no, Jeremy Paxman expects you to get them right. And when you get them wrong, he's disappointed. Uh, Alex <laughs> Trebek, like, is a kind of hostile to the idea of you getting the questions right and really wants them to be a challenge for you. But like, it's going to be nice about it. Right. Um, 
You know, like the, the host of Pressure Luck thinks the whammies are funny, but ultimately wants you to make money. Chuck Woolery is creepy on every freaking game show he's on. Love Connection, Scrabble, The Dating uh, Game, Lingo. What's up? <laughs> da- oh wait, was he on The Dating Game or Love Connection? No, Bob Eubanks did The Dating Game, right? Yeah, I Bob forget. Eubanks was was all right, right? He was okay. Yeah, dating sure. Dating Game was weird. Um, but Bob Eubanks is that? No, Bob Eubanks is the guy from Newlywed Game too, right? Yo, I'm confusing yes. him with. I was confusing him with uh, with with somebody else. Bob Eubanks is awesome. I love Bob Eubanks uh, as a game show host. Yes, uh, I love how the where, is the game, stra- yeah. where is the strangest place you and your husband has ever made whoopee? <laughs> the date, the newlywed game is a great study in this because it's it's taking marriage and making it into a game show, right? Sure. It's like it's like the game showness is the only thing that separates this from marriage, which is that there's a host, there's a vibe, there's a prize, there's a norm. Like you're suppo- in a marriage, you're supposed to know things about each other without talking about it. <laughs> like like that's you're supposed to have already discussed things that you're going to discuss in your marriage before you even proceed into it, right? As newlyweds. Like it's just expected as I guess that's the joke of them being newlyweds, right? Is like you're married now, so clearly you now know everything right, about yeah, each other. And like made, one, yeah. yeah, in one moment your knowledge has gone from, you know, what, twenty <laughs> to a hundred uh at the that's that is totally interesting. How often do you fantasize about being on the newlywed game? I'll ask this to Mark and Matt. How often? Z- zero times? Really? Never. No, no, never. No, no. Oh, never. weekly. <laughs> oh man. <laughs> Really? That would be great. Oh, yeah. Every once in a while. Because it's, it's whenever something that comes up where it's like, I wonder if my spouse knows this about me. Huh. Like if we were on the newlywed game and someone were to ask her about this about me, would she get it right? And then also if someone were to ask me about the similar thing for her, would I get it right? I just I, I mean, I've always wanted to be on a game show. It's one of the big dreams of my life. And it makes me kind of sad that I haven't done it yet. Um, like a real game show. Because um, I've loved I mean, Guy Smiley was my favorite. This is I can't. Pete, I, how have I known you for <laughs> two plus decades? And this is the first time I've ever heard you say one of the great dreams of my life <laughs> is to be on a game show. Yeah, I had a friend I, we who can make the Game this, Show Network. I used to tell her every time I saw her, like, put me on any game show. I will can, go on any game show. We can make this happen uh, for you. I'm sure <laughs> the Overthinking It Nation, yeah. uh, I'm sure oh, your smart, on. funny friends from the internet somewhere can help you. Please. <laughs> oh, my God. Podcast at overthinkingit.com. Let's get Pete Fenzel oh. on a GD game show. <laughs> I mean, I can't go to California, man. Like, I can't. You, <laughs> I have a, I you absolutely, you are not, no law prohibits you <laughs> from going to California, and your family would be delighted to. Let's, uh, ask, let's ask Bob Eubanks whether, whether my family would be. Well, there you go. We've, already, if, we've already answered we've been, into it. We've been married of a sort doing this podcast for 15 years together, <laughs> and I would have. And I would have failed that question on the newly podcaster game. <laughs> I mean, Mark, are there any game? I feel like I'm monologuing a little bit here. I mean, Mark, are there any game shows that you really liked or like? Oh, like I, real ones. Have we talked about how the time I was on a game show? You were on a game show? What? I'm, I'm sure we talked about hold this. On, that hold on, This is not the time you were on trial in the state of New York, right? No, 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 no. That's a different <laughs> okay. thing. Different okay, okay. The, the case was dismissed <laughs> also, to be very that. clear. Oh, yeah. Right? This never, case was never, never went to trial. The, tri- trial <laughs> the charges were dismissed. It never went to trial. And by the way, that is a true story. If you want to hear more about it, join us in the Discord. Um, I was on the NPR game show, um, not Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me, but the other one with Jonathan Colton. Um, the name, I'm totally blanking on it. You know, everybody, please? Yeah. Um, 
Uh, you know, yes. Like, well, it- I forget what I forget what it's called. Wait, do you also forget what it's called? You were on it. <laughs> it was on Ask Me Another. Ask, Ask me, me Another. Ask Me Another. Okay. The post okay. of Ophira Eisenberg. Um, and uh, this this is oh, I, really I, we didn't talk about this. No. They um so um, okay. Let me just walk you through the process. It's, it is nominally a quiz show, but it's also like, you know, um, uh, okay, let's, it's a quiz show, basically. Um, I auditioned for it by, like, sending in an email, like, writing about how I'd be a good game show host. They called me, and, like, you know, I demonstrated that I could be someone who could make good tape for the radio. I probably probably dropped the fact that I have a podcast on there, and um, uh, I guess that it's a net positive <laughs> in the leisure for this. Um, and I was told to come on down. And that, like, you know, I, I was given, I was emailed and told to show up at the, um, at this, uh, hipster, uh, venue in, in Gowanus, Brooklyn, uh, on a certain day. <clears throat> I was there. Um, the, the celebrity guest that day was Mo Willems, none other than oh, author wow. of Don't Let the, uh, Pigeon Drive the Bus. Wow. Elephant right. Piggy, man. Elephant yeah, Piggy. I know, right? Yes. Oh. He was on the game show as well. Waiting's at- not easy. Groan. <laughs> So the most notable thing about my game show appearance is that um, they there's like a little they, they, this is quite a risk on the game show part, right? Where they give an opportunity for the contestants to be a little clever, and the prompt was, um, "Mark, um, what is a pickup line that would work well with you?" and I'm going to tell you what I said. This <laughs> come, not be come, no sorry, come with me if you want to live. That's yeah. like, come, with me, come with me if you want to love. Oh, yeah, oh. yeah, yeah. You're right there, right? Oh, yes. I represented. I showed up. Um, I gave the line. I gave the go to one liner. I gave, made some good tape. I didn't win the first round. Um, but uh, it was it was one of the greatest experiences of my life. Out of town. It was fantastic. Oh, that's um, great. Yeah, yeah. I can't believe we have you were on a game show with Mo Willems, and you never talked to me about this. I must have. I must have. <laughs> probably. Oh, uh, seriously. Mo Willems hasn't had the significance in my life he has now throughout my entire life. Not like Bob Barker. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> God help me. But yeah, it's. Uh, we, 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 I will include a link to the show itself uh, in, in the show notes, um, so you all can listen uh, to me and and also like you know get a bunch of questions right, but probably not enough, or it's not quickly right. enough. Um, okay, so other other, do you, I mean, do you want to talk about the situation of watching the prices right? I guess I didn't, I didn't really answer your question. Sure, I mean, we're we're um, we're rounding the bend into the to the home stretch here. So, like, if you want to, if the, if that had it had an effect on me, and I can like see myself, I can see the like the CRT television, you know, that we had. Like, I can see the like, you know, stained and spotted carpet with all the the stuff that my brother and I had spilled on it over the years. Like, you know, laying down like on my stomach with my hand, chin propped up on my hands in front of it like i i can i can 100% call to mind a scenario like a whole uh experiential like like multi-sensory experience of watching uh watching the prices right but maybe you know i don't know like i can i can taste the pop tarts you know what i mean yeah. but like it's uh maybe i maybe it was different for you well i think maybe i started younger perhaps mm. cuz there are three shows that I know from talking to my mom that I really loved before I had was capable of forming autobiographical memory. 
So these are shows where like the memory is sort of unintegrated, kicking around in my hippocampus somewhere, right? And it influenced who I am in some profound way. But like I was not aware of myself as an existing thing while this was happening. And the three shows that come to mind are Price is Right, Family Feud, which I apparently referred to as Fem Food, Fem Food when I was like <laughs> three years old or something like that. And then Solid Gold. Uh, the uh, the music show with uh, Malin McCoo, Malin McCoo on Solid Gold. So like lots of bright and shining colors, lots of big smiling faces, lots of loud voices, right? Lots of like people sort of spouting off their charisma. I think I think you can kind of get a sense for some of where my vibe comes from, although it'd be, you'd be hard pressed drawing too many stylistic similarities between me and Marilyn McCoo. But uh, I mean, I, I don't have a, a quarter of her elegance and effortless and effortless grace. Uh, no, nor, nor an eighth of Bob Barker's, uh, wait, no, I don't think that math works out. I think, but anyway, the point being that like, for me, the, the, the original Price is Right experience is, feels more elemental in the sense that I was engaging with the kind of color and joy and kind of the suspense and release of like winning and losing before I had a kind of normative idea of like what they were for, it was, it's sort of like a reaching out into the world. So I really identify with what you say about this is an adult world that's good. And uh, and in all three of those shows, you're talking about an adult world that's good uh, in diff- for very different reasons. Right. Like Family Feud. Family Feud is a very different ethos and it has a different ethos now than it did then. Uh, but has a very different ethos than The Price is Right. And Solid Gold has a very different ethos than both of them. Um, but uh, but but that like um, but that it, there is this idea of. You part of how you come into being as a person, I think this is my opinion. There's some reading backing it up, but not a ton is that you go knowing that there are certain sorts of sources that will provide you with the information that you're looking for. I want to know what love is. I'm going to look to my parents, Mm. right? Like, and whoever my caregiver is, is going to teach me about what safety is and what love is. So what that idea actually is could be anything, right? Like it could, it could be all sorts of crazy crap, but as a little, little person, I have this sense of like, where am I looking for this thing? Like I'm reaching for there. And there's, and then there's the combination of the lights and the sound and the pacing and the the sort of sort of meta plots and and the social relationships and the sort of charisma charisma and charismatic exchanges that were present in these game shows felt like it was one of those places to look for something like like you you've come across it's like you've come across you it's like it's like hi, what you're hiking in the woods and it's like I've always known that I needed to come here to learn something about myself right like it's like Wordsworth in the hills right trying to get away from society <laughs> and it's like no I really feel like there's something about you know light right I mean what's what in the beginning right you know they said let there be light you know and and and, and Price is Right is ultimately it's light it was a very well lit studio uh, studio stay it sounds yeah. Strange. You have a box in your house that shoots light out of it into your eyeballs, and the light is the reflected light over other off of other people thousands of miles away. And the sparkle on the number one hundred <laughs> on that wheel, right? Yeah, like, yeah, it's yeah. It's just like seared in my eyeballs. It's <laughs> such a thing. But the so idea, let, like, let me what, get, let me let me get in here yeah. for a second and, and contrast. Like Pete, you had a really interesting phrase where you said, like, "What is it? Adult things that are good." Is that what yeah. you would describe like the series of game shows? 
Um, and as a young person watching it, like, uh, yes, I, I certainly relate to that as well. I also want to draw a contrast from the other thing that was out there on daytime television, which my young brain interpreted as adult things that are bad or just like sad and mysterious and not understanding. That is soap operas. Ooh. Soap operas were the other thing on when you're home sick and you're like, I want to watch the television. I'm like, what is this stuff? Here? Oh, this is like, I don't like this. These are angry people and they're like having fights. I don't like this. These are adult things that are bad. I'm going to watch this game show instead where people are ecstatic and they're jumping for joy and they win stuff. Adult things that are good, adult things that are bad. And also, to your point, right, <laughs> place of light, a place of brightness and a place of darkness. I have a, I have a, another contrasting – I have a similar sort of contrasting memory from early childhood. And I watched a lot of TV on an old Zenith with fake wood paneling on the sides. Uh, uh, you yeah, know, stuff. It, oh, yeah. Made a plasticky noise when you knocked on it, which you shouldn't do, but you did anyway. And you did increasingly as it got older and older. But it was my grandfather's old Zenith, and he had passed away when I was five. And uh, and so we had it in our house. And uh, I believe we might have gotten it before he before he passed. But the point being that, like, it had volume controls on it that were knobs. And but the knobs were inset. So it's that whole thing where, like, imagine a rectangle, right? There's a dark brown rectangle, and then there's, like, a silver rectangle inset within the dark brown rectangle. They have mm-hmm. the same length, but they have these uh, – the one rectangle has smaller width. And so there's this sort of band that's kind of double recessed in. And in that band, you could run your finger up and down, and it would turn the sides of these little discs. And the little discs had little teeth on them. And so the little teeth would catch the skin on your finger and you would use them to do things that were important, like change the tint on your television, right? like to change the tracking, to like make it all a weird color, to change the saturation. And the one on the bottom was to change the volume. And so we would play with these things sometimes as kids. Uh, And I, I have this very powerful memory of turning the TV on. And it being the news, it was very specifically the New York newscaster Chuck Scarborough, if you remember him when he was much younger, because I was much younger. Uh, he's a blonde guy, he had a very deep voice, talked like this. And the volume on the TV was so high that it was so loud mm. that I couldn't comprehend the sound. Mm-hmm. Like I couldn't comprehend it as speech. It was just this assault of noise on my ears. And, and this like, and I have this burned in image of this like hunched over newscaster kind of staring right into the camera and with, you know, he's his hair is gold. His backdrop is blue. It pops. Right. The complimentary colors are in full force. And he's just like speaking in this really deep baritone voice that is or bass voice. Even I don't even know what his voice would be, but it's just like assaults me, you know, because my TV was too loud. And, and I'm scrambling with the TV to try to figure out how to turn the volume down. And my hand is kind of running up and down the inside of the side of the TV. And I'm feeling the little pinpricks of the, of the sort of little spikes on the ends of the, uh, of the different knobs until I finally figure out where the volume is, which probably took me like three seconds, but felt like it took forever uh, to be able to turn the volume down. So that to me is the adult world. That's bad <laughs> as opposed to the price is right, which is the adult world. That's good where everybody is, you know, generally knows that they have to clean their house, but like, maybe you know how to do it. Maybe you don't, it doesn't really matter. Right? Like we're all going to be happy about it. Everybody gets a little kiss on the cheek, right? Like, uh, um, and, uh, and everybody's part of the party. Um, and, and at the end, every one person gets super duper happy and the other person just sort of goes out of frame. <laughs> <laughs> Because we're not going to dwell on that right now. Because there's a whole other part of the human condition we're not going to talk about. On the Price is Right. Um, it's 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 like you know it's like Disneyland. You know nobody dies there. 
Um, but uh, but you know, you got to leave Disneyland sometime. Even Bob Barker does. Yeah, we all so. even even and and even us have to leave this podcast behind. Uh, so thanks very much. For listening, we we uh, we pay tribute to uh, you know to to Bob Barker. May peace be upon him, and uh, may may flights of of cheering contestants sing thee to thy rest. Um, and we'll be back with more Overthinking It podcast next week. Until then, visit us on the web at overthinkingit.com, where we subject the popular culture to a level of scrutiny. It, it probably, probably doesn't deserve. And remember to spay and neuter your pets. You know, Bob Barker, Native American, a little bit. Grew up on a reservation. I feel like I want to mention that, but it doesn't change who he is. But, you know, you don't hear that a lot. Oh, I put like, yeah, this can be an extended outtake maybe because like I, I want to read just the early life. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, go, go section from that. Wikipedia because I did, I'm, I linked it in the show notes so I saw it a little bit. Yeah, yeah you, um, you do that. His uh, uh, As Barker's father was one-quarter Sioux and his mother non-native, Barker was one-eighth Sioux. Barker attended the grade school on the Rosebud Reservation, that is the Rosebud Indian Reservation in Mission, South Dakota, uh, where his mother was a teacher. He once said, I've always bragged about being part Indian because they are a people to be proud of, and the Sioux were the greatest warriors of them all. Also, his his undergraduate uh, education was interrupted by the Second World War, um, and he uh, joined the United States Navy Reserve to train as a fighter pilot, uh, though he did not see combat. And he uh, he returned to college to graduate summa cum laude with a degree in economics. <laughs> <laughs> and I think they were home economics. <laughs>